Good afternoon. We're going to have a beat to you're on mute, but we're going to figure that out. You've been on Zoom for so long. How can we forget to mute? But in any case, you are listening to the Intentional Talk Radio Network. It is a Sunday, and you know what that means. We've got a great show this afternoon. We've got Dr. Keisha Ross, who is here with a great guest. And I am not going to take up any more time. I'm going to let Dr. Keisha Ross bring in her guest. This is going to be a powerful show right here on ITRN Radio. You can hear us each and every day, and especially on those live shows. But get us on any of your podcast platforms. That's Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Black Talk Radio. You can get us there. You can also get us on itrnradio.com. Dr. Keisha Ross, I give you the floor. Take it away. Thank you so much, Ms. Williams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Horizons Mind and Body Connection on Intentional Talk Radio Network. I'm your host, Dr. Keisha Ross. The goal of New Horizon Mind and Body Connection is to decrease stigma related to mental health with a particular emphasis on minority mental health. Particularly Black, Indigenous, and people of color, we focus on healthy mind for healthy body with an aim to build a focus on advocacy, empowerment in urban minority areas and underserved populations. Today, we have special guest, Dr. Maurice Ensley. You're in for a great treat. You're gonna get a lot of good education today, a lot of good conversation and dialogue that will keep you going throughout the week. Dr. Ensley is a psychologist with a doctoral degree in clinical psychology from the University of Missouri, St. Louis, with an emphasis in behavioral medicine. He has specialized training in health psychology in primary care settings. His training and experience also include post-traumatic stress, family therapy, group therapies, and stress management. His interests include multicultural psychology with a focus on the impact of stress and coping methods on the mental and physical health. Dr. Ensley also conducts training on the impact of racism on communities of color within medical institutions and provides educations on interventions for race-related stress. Dr. Ensley, welcome today. How are you? We are so happy to have you here. How how are you doing? I'm doing well today. Doing well. Excited for this film. Wonderful, wonderful. So during our previous episode, we discussed the difference between mental health and mental illness. We talked about intervention versus prevention. So today we'll discuss impacts of race-based stress on physical and mental health. However, before we go specific, let's start out with a general definition of stress. Can you break that down for folks? What is stress? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think we spend a lot of time talking about stress, um, but without even more clear information about what it is. And so really what it is, it's an experience that, you know, that in your environment that oftentimes um, puts stress or strain uh, on our ability to cope with it. So at times um, when people experience something as stressful, it may have an experience that's forcing their body to react to this environmental stressor. And sometimes it actually overwhelms our ability to, to actually cope with it. So it's more than what we have the resources to deal with. Um, and so that's one of those stresses we really start to see 
um, you know, as we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about more, but, you know, the mental health and the physical health effects of that. So it's really kind of just something that happens to us and we have to respond to it in some way. Um, and we, we may have these built-in resources to deal with it, uh, um, but they may get used up uh, pretty quickly. So stress is something that happens to, on the system is what you're saying, right? So it sounds like mm-hmm. the system can be impacted in different ways. It could be physical, but it could also be mental, emotional. Can you tell us a bit about Absolutely, some of those things? Yeah, so they, oftentimes what we might first notice is probably just the emotional sort of side of the arousal, the feelings, the anxieties, the frustration, the anger, you know, all the, you know, a lot of different kind of emotions may go along with the stressor. But um, so that's kind of the, we have this emotional arousal response um, that we probably notice first, um, fear being one of the main ones that, that comes up uh, within that. Um, and then there's the actual what's happening internally or what's happening within our body. So there's a whole system that helps us deal with stress and fear and, and react to those things that maybe come across as threats to us that cause us stress. And, and so when that um, happens, it, it gets your heart rate going, it changes your digestion, um, it, it gets some hormones going through your body like cortisol um, that helps us to kind of our body prepare uh, to deal with whatever that stressor is. And so uh, in a very short term, it's if you see like a, a tiger or bear or something, right, your body prepares you naturally to deal with that type of threat. Um, and But it, it does put some strain and stress on the body, at least for short term, to help you escape. Um, and so stress is really broad. And so it could be something as being frustrated sitting in your car uh, in traffic. And so um, your body has a specific reaction to that to help us sort of uh, cope with it. Um, um, but really our body's designed for these short-term quick bursts um, and then going back to sort of the baseline or the, the normal. Okay. So it sounds like you're talking about there's different levels of stress. Like you talked about being in, mm-hmm. in traffic. So that could be like a daily hassle, right? Whereas like there's ma- major life events that might be births, deaths, change in job, those kind of things. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between like acute stress, chronic stress, post-traumatic stress, and that'll lead us to our race-based stress? Um, So I think there are three great sort of examples of how stress is a little bit different depending on the experience or the stressor itself. Um, So acute stress is kind of like you're in the moment, it's short term, sometimes it might be high, but it resolves relatively quickly. So it goes away. And and so that stress doesn't bother you as much. Um, And then, for example, chronic stress is probably more of what our day to day looks like. So acute stressor might be that you see that tiger bear, you run away, you escape, you're now safe. Um, And so your body starts to come back down from that. Um, a chronic stressor is more like the traffic situation, right? Where we might do that several times a day, um, as well as other stressors, job stress, marital stress. Um, um, you may also be dealing with kind of discrimination-related stress, what we'll talk about, right? So these things that are constantly impacting you, that's more of this chronic stress. Um, so it's something that doesn't go away after a short period of time. It typically lasts for quite some time uh, or maybe never fully goes away. Um, in some situations. And so that's that chronic stress has a very different impact on our health. And we, we can definitely talk more about that. Um, now, post-traumatic stress oftentimes is um, due to kind of uh, the, the remnants or the after effects of a really horrible event that someone might have experienced. And so what happens oftentimes too, it changes in some ways how your body responds to other similar stressors. 
So you might have an, a more um, exaggerated response. You may be kind of looking more out for that stressor. You may be quick to react uh, faster than you would have. You know, this, you know, these conditions to try to help um, your body deal with the dangerous situation linger for a bit longer um, than we might want them to once the situation's over. And so that's kind of this more post-traumatic stress kind of in a nutshell um, and, we'll, and, and without getting too deep into PTSD specifically, but um, hopefully that's a clear explanation of those three different types of stressors. Great. Thank you. I mean, it's important for our listeners to understand that. So cute. You talked about more immediately, typically goes away, chronic, more lasting, post-traumatic. Mm-hmm. That's going to be in response to some type of traumatic event, something horrific or, or terrible. So that big question, you know, is stress good or bad? You know, sometimes people want to know, well, can I get rid of stress or is stress always going to be a part of life to some degree? Yeah, so I would say stress is definitely neither good or bad. I don't like to talk about stress necessarily in good versus bad terms. Right? Stress is a thing. And stress exists. You know, the impact on our body, these things exist to help us survive in our environment. Um, now, the situations themselves that cause us stress is kind of a different situation, right? So, but if we're talking about the stress response, um, which is what we're talking about here, here right now, um, um, you know, that's a, an inevitable part of life, unfortunately. Uh, our environment changes, it challenges us to adapt to it and deal with it. Um, um, and that's where that stress response really comes in is to help us do that. So I like that you said it's not good or bad. So that's important to recognize that sometimes it's perception, it's how we perceive stress, how we're going to respond to it. So I think it's important for listeners to know how can stress or anxiety be diagnosed or what are the signs or symptoms? How does the person know they're under stress? Because sometimes there's the myth that you'll know you're under stress, but I work in a hospital setting and sometimes a person may have such a high level of blood pressure close to level of stroke and they didn't even know. That, that was happening. So mm-hmm. what are some of the signs and symptoms of stress? Yeah, that's a great question. You're right. Um, your blood pressure going up, which is a normal response to stress. And the longer that you, the more stress that you have, that, that the higher blood pressure, it doesn't come back down. It kind of raises the baseline. So we get conditions like hypertension, you know, often was referred, you know, as a silent killer because you don't, like you said, you may not even recognize or feel it. Um, but the other ways you can also notice uh, stress or kind of strain physically is you can just take your pulse. Um, cause one of the other things is, is you see your heart rate increase, right? So if you notice that your pulse, that your heartbeat is, is faster than usual for you, you can check that. Um, you, you don't need a watch or anything. You can actually just kind of take your finger and put it a little bit under your neck and feel how fast that pulse is going. Um, another way to do that is check your breathing. Um, we tend to breathe a little bit more rapidly um, when we're under times of stress or if you're holding your breath sometimes maybe for long periods of time and not noticing it, but your breathing changes uh, in response to that too. So one of the ways we can deal with stress is actually to slow down our breath and be mindful of our breath. But um, those are kind of some few examples, uh, but there's many, there's muscle tension, tightness, um, sometimes pain may be a sign, especially kind of like more muscular pain or other types of things might signify that you've got some really a lot of tension. Um, and so noticing if you got tension, there's other lots of tension related issues like um, tension, headaches, other types of things that might sign might be signs of severe stress. So it's important to talk to your medical providers about those things and to make sure you get a better understanding. Is it something that's caused by stress or is it something that's caused by something else? Um, but to get that clarified. 
Um, but those those are just some a few examples. But a lot of times we can see it just in the way we react. Appetite goes up or go, go goes down for some people. Your appetite changes. You, you, you don't eat as much or you eat a lot more in response to stress. So there's usually these kind of either behavior related changes or these physical changes we can we can tell in our body. Excellent. I mean, thank you for dispelling that myth, because sometimes it's like, how do I know? So as you said, just looking at, you know, something going up or down in terms of behaviors, you talked about breathing, you talked about muscle tension, you also talked about appetite. Now, some people have higher loads of stress than others. So is it possible that people acclimate to such high levels of stress that they don't necessarily recognize if they're at that moment where it could be physically dangerous for them? For their health, uh, yeah, I, I think if it becomes a sort of just like any habit, right? You, you have a habit of operating that feels like maybe the new normal um, for you, and and so continue to operate in that way. Um, but but noticing, you know, there's these major health effects, or you're starting to notice other mental health symptoms like more depression or anxiety type symptoms. Those are other signs that we, that the stress is kind of overwhelming. Um, um, your usual ability to kind of deal with it. And, and so I think sometimes folks expect that is kind of like the normal or they may respond to it in that way. Um, that's just how it is maybe. Um, but it can be a sign sometimes that um, you need a break um, and it's important to take those breaks. Yeah, hopefully that kind of answered that question. It, it did. And I know we'll get in later. You started to hint a little bit at some of the things you can do to help with the breathing mindfulness. So we'll get more into mm-hmm. that later. So thank you for defining those differences, acute stress, chronic stress, post-traumatic stress. Now we're going to get into our major topic of the day, which is race-based stress. Sometimes we hear it called race-based stress and trauma, or it may be uh, referred to as racial trauma. Tell us a little bit about what this is? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So um, Dr. Robert Carter helped um, kind of develop the, the concept of um, um, uh, racial traumatic stress, um, which is a race-based tra- traumatic stress, which is kind of, it's actually talking about the, the experience of the racism and discrimination. So how can we understand, you know, how it impacts us? And and really, Dr. Robert Carter talks a lot about how I think we experience discrimination as actually um, traumatic, um, and that when we look at it and examine it, it's very similar to um, uh, what we might see in something like, for example, post-traumatic stress or PTSD. Uh, um, and so there's a lot of overlap between those two as far as what they look like for our symptoms. But in general, the types of situations that we might experience as as is uh, race-based traumatic stress is um, usually some sort of emotional injury um, to us. So, so we might have really negative experiences with interpersonally with someone. Um, we may be called a racial slur, all these other types of things that are really injurious to us emotionally. Um, and they, they have to be, of course, motivated by racism. way. And so those things um, and do that. And then those, that experience that for those symptoms, especially start to show up, it overwhelms our ability to cope or deal with them. Um, and so this may be, for example, if you're constantly being shown images, so we can experience this even vicariously, so it doesn't happen, have to happen directly to us. We're seeing images, for example, of police brutality, for example, if you're watching that and, and we identify with those folks in particular, it can be particularly harmful to us. And so uh, it may make it very difficult for us to cope. And so um, that's kind of one example of that race-based traumatic stress might show up. 
in addition, we oftentimes see it things like hopelessness or or helplessness start to develop um an intense sense of fear or horror response to these events um and they, and these are based upon racially motivated events um and so these are just kind of some examples of, of what kind of race-based traumatic stress or racial trauma might be thank you that that's definitely a mouthful so we'll break it down a little bit more. And so from what you talk, what you're talking about is that race itself is being conceptualized as a traumatic stressor. And within yeah. that stressor, racism. you're saying, right. So racism is the stressor. So it may happen to someone directly, but it also might be vicarious is what you're saying. So with all this going on in the world is even watching the news and seeing what's happening to other people of color, you know, police brutality, you know, community violence, those kind of things, is that considered race-based stress? Yes, absolutely. Um, um, any of those things that, that, especially those that are, you know, uh, I think the, the, the context here, the important part about that is the, you know, racially motivated. And I think the key piece to think about too, that, that's also important to clarify is that um, it doesn't, you know, you don't have to prove that it's racially motivated for it to be race-based traumatic stress. You only have to see it that way or experience it in that way. Um, so it actually doesn't, you know, have to be like proven to be that for us to characterize. It's actually about how the person experiences it versus, you know, sort of some weird objective way to look at it. Um, so I think that's an important piece that sometimes gets left out of that. And thank you for clarifying, for clarifying that. So all of those who may say, well, are you sure it was racism? Are you sure it was discrimination? You're saying that doesn't matter. So it's not a matter of having to prove it to someone. It's a person's individualized, internalized experience. Yes, um, thank you. That's, that's very eloquently put. I think it's, it's about that side there. Um, it's about the individual who may be the target of these experiences or, or witnessing them. Um, um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about ways in which race-based stress and trauma may be similar and different to PTSD? Because some people might want to clump them together, but they are they may have some overlap. So how are they similar and how are they different? Um, <clears throat> so I, in a lot of cases, they're actually one in this, like they, you know, the events themselves are one in the same. So we can have things like assaults that are based, you know, uh, on uh, uh, Black, Indigenous, or people of color um, that would actually qualify for what we call the Criterion A event, or which is essentially the, the type of trauma or severity of, of a stressful experience that meets the definition for PTSD. Um, I think, so they actually may be quite overlapped, and we actually see that the symptoms described um, are also very similar. So you know, uh, paying extra attention to potential threats in your environment, um, ha you know, startlingly quickly, problems sleeping, more irritability, um, the, you know, a lot of the symptoms are actually very similar um, that we notice based upon the research by several folks, um, that there's a lot of overlap between those two. I think where the differences really start to show up, unfortunately, is that um, I think part of this may be just in the way that PTSD was developed, but oftentimes it may not account for things like, you know, for example, let's talk about racial microaggressions, which are, are in many cases, these very day, daily minor experiences with uh, racial bias um, or derogatory comments or things that might be said. That wouldn't meet um, um, that definition of a trauma under PTSD 
But we see that people who experience a lot of them on a daily basis um, have very similar symptoms. Um, so start to see really these differences start to diverge quite a bit. Um, other than I think that um, uh, racial trauma focuses specifically on a very specific area of you know the, the experiences of uh, Black, Indigenous, and people of color. You can have all kinds of traumas that fit under um, PTSD, car accidents, assaults, uh, combat, all those different things. Thank you for that breakdown. So from what you said, pretty much overlap in terms of the symptoms now, in terms of that type of traumatic event. However, the differences we might see, you know, just having folks to understand that PTSD itself is like a diagnosis. Race-based stress and trauma Mm -hmm. is a theory. There's a lot of research on it, but it's not something that we diagnose in the sense of like our diagnostic manual. Not yet, but researchers are working working <laughs> on that. So very important for us to have researchers, you know, from diverse backgrounds, right? Bringing it to the table in terms of this is something that's important for us to study and, and recognize. Absolutely. So earlier you talked about physical and, and mental health impacts of stress in general. Talk to us a little bit more just specifically about what you see in communities of color, particularly within the Black community in terms of race-based stress and trauma. Absolutely, yeah. So we can start off talking about just some of the physical health effects. So for decades, um, researchers have looked at what are the health impacts of, of exposure to racism and discrimination. Um, and what we find is that we have, we see the health disparities in a, in a bigger picture. So uh, increased risk for hypertension, uh, heart disease, uh, atherosclerosis, which is these plaques building up in your arteries that can, can lead to, um, you know, worsening heart disease or strokes or other types of issues. Um, we oftentimes see that people feel sicker. Um, they report their health as worse. Um, when they experience more experiences of racism and discrimination. Um, and oftentimes it's also can be seen in increase in obesity. Um, so we see a lot of these health disparities that we see for in particular black folks um, um, showing up and racism and discrimination is definitely a part of, of those experiences which lead to these health disparities. And so um, those are just some examples of the physical sort of health effects. Um, um, it also times affects people's behavior. So we see that um, nicotine or tobacco use goes up. We, for some people, we see substance abuse or alcohol use um, 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 as other behavior types of changes. Poor nutrition, so we don't eat as well. You know, I talked about you know, chronic stress has this impact on our appetite up or down. So we may eat a lot more, and usually when we're stressed, we we typically if we're eating more, we're not craving healthy foods, right? We're usually, you know, uh, mm-hmm. salty, sweet, you know, um, high fat foods um, um, that help our body, give our body, you know, energy. But the problem is we have an overabundance. And so it leads to things like diabetes and obesity are connected with that. Um, changes, uh, and I forgot to mention, it changes our immune response. So, so our immune system may not be as uh, able to fight off uh, infections or other types of things um, that happen to us may have that high level of stress. Um, so, those are just kind of some of the behavioral and physical health issues that might show up um, in response to that. But some of the other things we might see uh, in our mental health is, is increased anxiety, uh, more depression, irritability, um, poor sleep. Um, so insomnia starts to become a problem for many folks. And so um, those are kind of some of the general effects that we see in response to racial, race-based traumatic stress or racial trauma or race-based stress. 
Excellent. I mean, you really broke it down. You talked about behaviorally what's happening that's changing physically our body immune system. I'm so happy you talked about that because, you know, you can turn on any commercial and it'll say African-Americans are at high risk of fill in the blank. Right. But unfortunately, there are many systemic variables related to that. So everything you're talking about there, those are those social determinants. Right. So what are some ways in which communities of color, particularly Black communities, can work on, you know, recognizing these signs and symptoms and seeking help for race-based stress and trauma? That's a great question. Um, um, and I think the first place to start off with talking about that is, is sometimes it's just about checking in with yourself. How are you, you know, asking yourself, how are you doing right now? Um, um, <clears throat> noticing those, cha- those changes um, in your own behavior that we mentioned before. Um, so it might be those things where someone, hey, you know, I noticed you're feeling more stressed. What's going on? Um, you know, just taking a, a second, you know, a step back and taking a second and sort of like taking an inventory or stock of how you're doing. Um, it can be really important in those moments. Um, like you said, for some people, this high intensity sort of life stress becomes like the normal for them. Um, and so, you know, finding ways to stop and take a break and check in can be important to identify what's going on for you. Um, now, if you're on the flip side, right, and you're seeing it someone else, there's lots of different things we could do, depending on if you're kind of a person, you know, it's kind of a friend or if this is someone you're working with as a professional, um, a therapist in some way, there's lots of different ways in which we can identify those types of things. And sometimes just asking about how those responses to these situations are impacting that person. How are you doing? Uh, with that, you know, situation. Uh, how are you doing? You know, listening and watching the George Floyd murder trial, for example, could be a way to check in uh, with folks. Um, seeking help. I think that that's a great question. Um, for some folks, that help may be in different forms. Um, so I want to kind of break down this barrier of like seeking help means you have to go talk to a mental health professional. That that can be really important. So I, I wouldn't say don't do that. I encourage people to please do that. Um, but I would say that sometimes it may be um, actually engaging with friends, uh, family members, those that are supportive of you in your life. Social support can actually do a lot for us. Um, so that's one avenue that we can get some some um, relief. Um, folks that are going to actually help us feel better about our own racial identity. I think that's one of the damaging pieces about race-based stress that's really unique is that it can be very damaging to Black, Indigenous, or people of color um, because many of those messages are those that are negatively directed at our identities. And so finding ways to combat those negative messages, people that kind of pick you up and pump you up. Um, and those can be some ways to actually kind of deal with it. Mindfulness or relaxation skills are great too, because sometimes in the moment they can help us slow down enough to maybe make decisions or respond to these situations that cause race-based stress. Um, so they can help us think through those and act in ways that are, you know, fit with our values. A lot of times race-based stress, one of the after effects is that we handle a situation in a way that we don't feel great about. Um, many of these situations are, there really isn't a right choice, um, unfortunately, but um, um, you can act within your value system. So if getting angry and yelling is something that bothers you, now you're feeling ashamed or guilty about that response, right? Thinking about that and exploring that with someone can be helpful to maybe even better understand that uh, that response and maybe why you had that response uh, um, instead of kind of, you know, kicking yourself while you're down, so to speak. Um, so some other things that can be helpful is celebrating those identities. So finding ways that, that help you feel connected with those identities. So one of the things that we do 
um, and some of the work that I do is we we have an exercise where we identify things that help you feel proud about your identity and help you feel engaged with that identity um, to help challenge those negative messages. Um, exercise, all those those normal things we also hear about can be really helpful too. Um, so exercise is really great for kind of helping to deal with stress or deal with uh, even mild, 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 moderate symptoms of depression, anxiety we might experience. Um, and I think finally, um, seeking help, talking to a professional, someone who's trained, um, ideally, of course, um, to, to talk, to help you process and deal with these types of experiences. So we're talking about, um, especially um, as the symptoms increase and we start to have a lot more symptoms, it, it, it's really essential that folks find those, find those individuals, those providers, therapists. Um, sometimes it might even be the clergy, um, depending on kind of where, which area you go. But um, looking at those folks that 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 are trained in in helping people deal with this type of stress, because um, it's 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 a unique issue uh, that that uh, Black Indigenous people probably face. That's a long-winded answer. I'm sorry for that, but hopefully <laughs> no, that covered all of the. That's a large question. No, that that is excellent. There's a lot, you know, and people can listen through again and go through that. But I love that you just started with check in with yourself, right? Just doing your own check-in from the neck of like, how am I feeling? Am I okay? Am I overwhelmed? And I am I feeling stressed? And as we said earlier, some people might have that numbing effects that there's constantly going. They're in that state of arousal, where it's that survival consciousness. So how do you work with those individuals? When we're talking about healing from racial trauma, how do we reach out to those people who are constantly moving? constantly hustling and it may be difficult Mm -hmm. for them to slow down because that level of chronic stress is just a normal part of their everyday life. Yeah, that's a great question because one of the things we know about especially chronic stress is that it impacts our ability to problem solve Um, and so it can actually impact how we're dealing with those stressors so it's it's a kind of a a tough issue to tackle. and I think it, that's why it's important for, for us to talk with loved ones in our lives about these things, um, you know, see how they're doing, checking in, um, um, because that can help kind of point out, right, if you notice something's different um, in, in a loved one, right, um, these st- signs of stress start to show up. And sometimes they're first identified by family members or friends or, or significant others, right? So so that that's kind of one way. Um you know, I think, and, you know, when they're ready to, for example, the way that I oftentimes work with folks who are kind of in that mode, I try to meet them where they are. Um, I think, you know, using a lot of flexible ways to engage them. Um, so that might be, you know, we have to have some quick phone conversations or, you know, we, we need to do kind of like uh, video appointments or, you know, find ways to be flexible to meet them where they are. Because part of the challenge here is that the stresses of making them in some ways oftentimes do extra things. So if we talk about, we didn't talk a lot about systemic factors or structural racism, um, you know, they're having to jump through extra hoops to get things done. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's another piece of it here where I think sometimes we have to uh, take a step back and sort of say like, okay, if, if this is hard for someone to engage with me on these issues, how can I make it easier for them to engage? How can I create the space for them to, to get engaged. And I think that that's hard and we have to be really creative and flexible to do so. And I think that's a part of what we would call like culturally sensitive therapy. You said something that was key, meeting people where they are. And sometimes, you know, folks might not want to engage in therapy because they feel afraid that like too much is going to be asked of them at one time. 
and noticing that it's it's a collaborative process, recognizing in therapy that it's working with your therapist to say, okay, this is what's going on in my life. And these are the things that I want to work on. So I like that you said, yes, check in with yourself, have a support system, people who can be like those reality testers, right? If you feel like, okay, I'm checking in, but I don't know if this is accurate or not, are there trusted people in my life, friends or family that I can reach out to? And then you also mentioned that healing, you said it's holistic. So we're definitely proponents of mental health, right? So we, that is the avenue we definitely, as you said, encourage people. But you also mentioned that it could be religion, it could be spiritual, it could be nature, it could be philosophy. There are different areas and avenues in terms of of healing. So it's important to recognize that there can be a holistic view in terms of healing. All right. Absolutely. Those things that you do that bring you joy. (laughs) Right. So sometimes that, I mean, I have actually given patients homework of said, go to have fun. And the patients say, you know what? You would think that that should be easy, but that's hard for me or self-care. What can I do to take care of myself when I do the check-in, well, how have you been doing over the week in terms of self-care? Well, not great, Dr. Ross. I know we, I should have been doing something for myself, but I haven't. So recognizing that sometimes we're in a culture too where we do for so many other people, but not recognizing that it's important that we need to take care of ourselves first because you, as the adage goes, you can't you know, give from like an empty cup. So realizing that we have to recharge the batteries. We need to refill. So what you're talking about with race-based stress and trauma that's unique is different than other types of trauma because you can't get away, right, from your race. You can't get away from the color of your skin. So that is something that's different. Talk to us about that unique factor of race-based stress and trauma versus other types of traumas. Absolutely, yeah. Um, It isn't something, right? Every time you turn on the TV, you will probably likely see some news, whether it be, you know, stereotypic portrayals of someone that you identify with or seeing a tragic assault or murder or harm, right? So, and oftentimes you can't go day by day. I mean, by definition, we talk about the concept of microaggressions, for example, within the definition, they're daily. Um, And so for many of us, these stressors don't go away. And we haven't talked a lot about structural systemic racism. And so that might affect things like housing, you know, your education. Um, these are things that are part of our daily life um, that, are, that are oftentimes inescapable. Um, and so many times what, what makes that unique is some of the other types of trauma. If you're in combat, but you're now removed from a combat zone, you're not in danger necessarily anymore um, of, of kind of combat. You know, although many people still experience that real sense of fear, and, and that's important. Um, it's a bit different when we're talking about racism because it is kind of all around us is within our, our, our society. Um, we never can fully escape it. So I think that, that, that forces us to think about it a little bit differently because we wouldn't do uh, PTSD treatment with someone who is in the middle of a combat zone. Does that make sense? Um, that the, a lot of those reactions that they have um, may actually protect them. So being, you know, really vigilant or really looking for those threats, that's going to protect you if, for example, in a, in a dangerous environment. Um, when someone's come and talking about race-based stress and they're having those similar reactions, but they're in an environment where, well, they're not safe because there's a lot of racism, discrimination they experience. So being on guard or maybe look, you know, you know, being aware of those threats, I can protect them. Um, 
we don't want to strip away those protective things. So we have to work with it sometimes a little bit differently. You know, how do you make that shift from being on guard to engaging in self-care, right? That's really challenging for a lot of people because um, that guard feels like it does need to be on uh, all the time. Um, but then there's those times, right, where you're with your family or you're with your loved ones or you're, you know, even if it's just fishing or whatever your hobbies are. But if you're constantly thinking about mm-hmm. these experiences, it actually disrupts that process of self-care and relaxation. So to me, it's a, um, how can we help you figure out a way to, to kind of turn it off a little bit when it's time to. So, you know, when you are safe, you know, how can you switch it, you know, switch it off or to at least turn down the volume on that? Um, so you can get the benefit and enjoyment um, of those things that bring it joy. Um, and so I, I think that's more of the, the conversation uh, that needs to happen is how can we turn down the volume of those thoughts and those worries and concerns. I like that analogy. I use that with patients a lot. You know, I say think of the volume, right? Low, medium, high, because some things may we don't want it to go away, right? Fight or flight, we need it when there is a true sense of danger. But if it's constantly activating when it, we don't need it, then we have a problem with the mechanism. So I love that um, analogy. So you started to talk a little bit about healing from racial trauma, you know, in terms of, you know, positive racial uh, socialization. Now let's shift specifically to the work you do to discuss your specific work with race-based stress and t- trauma. Tell us a bit about what you do as a health psychologist, like day-to-day, what does that look like just in terms of the work you do? Yeah, well, I say my day-to-day is never the same. <laughs> um, um, but, uh, you know, my day-to-day can vary quite a bit. Um, so I work uh, primarily in primary care settings, right? So the doctor you see on a daily, you know, on a regular basis, right, that kind of tries to handle all of your care unless there's some specialist that's needed. Um, I, I work with him. I'm attached to one of those uh, primary care clinics or types of services. And so um, I work with a lot of folks with a whole range of, you know, uh, kind of mental stressors. Um, so they might be just experiencing stress, but they don't have a mental health diagnosis or anything that's diagnosable. Um, they may have maybe mild anxiety, uh, depression, uh, PTSD symptoms that they need some help learning how to maybe cope a little bit differently with. Um, but I also work a lot with folks who are trying to manage their weight or they're trying to better manage their diabetes or insomnia or chronic pain. Um, so I see a wide range of folks and oftentimes um, they're folks that have just seen their primary care provider. And so they're seeing me, um, you know, the, the, the primary care providers identify the need or a way that um, um, working with me could be helpful for that person. So whether it's their mental health concerns, or maybe some, a lot of times it's actually they're, they're just physical health concerns. Um, granted, those things aren't really separate. I think they actually go together, right? So my job really actually is to prevent the, the worsening of, of mental and physical health conditions. Wonderful. So there's a level of prevention that you're trying to do. So being in a primary care setting, do you feel like that decreases stigma a bit that you're a mental health professional in that setting? Does it seem like people are a little bit more comfortable and willing to speak about stress or mental health issues versus other environments? Yeah, I I think it does. Most of the time, 
the we lose folks when they have to make another appointment or they have to take you know a lot of other steps right as we talk about people who are already chronically stressed or feeling like they've got a lot of things that they're trying to take care of taking that extra step can be really challenging to address you know i think sometimes we put mental health in the back seat um, um and kind of push through um and so i think that does help that because it forces people to but not really forces, I should say, but it helps people to like make that step. It makes it easier for them. Like I said, meet them where they are. Um, right. A lot of times folks are coming in for stressors and issues because now it's already impacting their health. So we can meet them where they come. Um, and I think that that's an important piece of that. And I, and I think it does reduce the stigma to know that this should be a part of your routine care. Um, so for some mm-hmm. folks, my work is usually short term. So it's not kind of like this long term, I think, you know, in our heads, we made a vision having this really long psychotherapy like we see on TV processing mm-hmm. these deep concerns. When when it's interesting because, you know, what I do on a daily basis is very different than that. Actually, we typically don't do that type of therapy. We do, you know, shorter interventions, ways to help people tackle these issues that uh, that's been well researched in psychology to kind of help them meet those those changes. So a lot of times it's just problem solving, really, you know, and if figure out ways to address the challenges and barriers that they have in life um, so that they can kind of, you know, live life a little healthier. You made an excellent point there because I think there is that myth like, oh, I'm going to be in therapy forever and it's going to be months and years. Uh, And we talked a little bit about this on our last segment that there's different types of psychotherapy, right? There's different modalities or what we call theoretical orientation. Some might be more behavioral, cognitive, psychodynamic. And as you talk about, you're in primary care. So a lot of what you're doing is more short-term work, as you said, for prevention. So hopefully that is helpful and it prevents longer term or chronic kind of issues. And there's a wrap up. Then we have at the end of the spectrum, like serious mental illness, which is severe mental illness, which is may need more long-term type of therapy across a lifetime. So thank you for bringing that up because I think folks have that idea like, okay, I'm so busy. I've got work. I've got family. You know, how am I going to find time for this? Yes, absolutely. Um, And I think that's what I love about my job is that I do have that flexibility (laughs) to kind of meet folks where they are a bit more um, um, and and hopefully stopping, you know, the worsening of their symptoms. uh, where they need that longer term support. Excellent. So we're going to keep pushing that prevention, prevention, you know, mental health, mental health, (laughs) mental health. You know, you made a great point that not everything is diagnosable. So some stress has a buildup, right? And there is an impact that it may lead to significant anxiety or depression, and it may be diagnosable. And then other times, not necessarily. So I think it's important that listeners recognize that, that there's a spectrum there's a continuum. So not everything falls on a severe type of range. So now that we know a little bit just what you do in the primary care setting, you are the co-developer of an innovative race-based stress and empowerment protocol. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's a group that was uh, developed, um, I think, specifically um, in my work with veterans. Um, um, it's been a great project, I think, to work on. So the issue of it is I work with some really great folks who provided some amazing input. So I, I'd be remiss without mentioning them, Dr. Marie Carlson, um, um, uh, Dr. Lumi Schauhein, um, who have put a, a ton of work into kind of using, you know, the, the, the manual and the, and the 
the group model as well. And, and so I think it's, it's been a collaborative uh, approach, right? So we've gotten input from those who, who are experiencing these things, right? And, and made changes based upon their experience, but it incorporates a lot of different things that we've kind of already talked about. So I think the first key component, as I mentioned, is, is before us, you know, as we talk about checking in, the first key component is listening, I think, um, and, and allowing folks who are experiencing these, um, you know, race-based stressors and race-based racial trauma to be able to talk about these experiences. Um, and I think that that's like the first key piece, right, is allowing them to tell their story in ways that, that in their other, you know, in their primary care doctor's appointment, they're probably not going to get asked about these things or not going to talk about these things where they have very clear impacts on their mental and physical health. So I think that's one of the key pieces of what we do. Uh, I think the second piece is um, being, I think it's a group. So it's designed for folks who have similar experiences to feel that camaraderie, build those relationships. And one of the impacts socially of uh, um, race-based traumatic stress and and, and race-based stress um, is isolation. Um, Oftentimes this leads folks to isolate. Um, because um, constantly being bombarded from the, in their environment with these issues. And so um, kind of breaking some of that mold. And now they got support from professionals, but also folks who've been through the same thing. Um, and, and they can share uh, knowledge. Um, I, I, I believe in the inherent resiliency of, 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 of people. We find ways to cope and deal with these things. Some are more helpful for our health than others, but um, they have a purpose. Um, and so you know, they're able to talk about what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them. And other folks can maybe who are struggling with these things can take some of that information and try it out for themselves. So I think that's another piece of it is this sort of like sharing uh, with each other, talking about, you know, their own identity and their own connections um, and how they how these experiences impacted their identity, I think is important, too. So there's a lot of research looking at the impact of racism um, starting at early ages and how it impacts um, um, identity, especially for Black Black folks. And so I think the other piece of that is, you know, they get to celebrate in different ways and kind of be celebrated in a lot of ways. And so I think that that's important too. Um, the other piece is we bring in uh, other types of things that maybe they haven't been exposed to. This might include, you know, relaxation skills. One of the issues with, with chronic stress and the health effects of chronic stress is that um, it gets our system aroused and activated and that, and that long-term activation of that process is what leads to these health issues. So how can we kind of turn it down or turn it off sooner, right? So hopefully it helps to slow down the tide of these negative long-term health issues. Um, so that we bring in relaxation skills or mindfulness um, as a way to kind of help kind of slow the body's natural processes down or, or turn, them, turn that volume down in those bodily processes. Mindfulness can be a really great tool when we're under a lot of stress and we're trying to figure out what's the best way to handle a very difficult situation. And so mindfulness also, I think mindfulness also uh, helps in that way. And I mentioned before um, um, that you asked of how do we make that shift, right? Mm -hmm. Dealing with stressful situations or thinking about racism and discrimination to, you know, playing with our kids or, um, you know, going in in our garage and working our cars or, um, how do we do that and have, you know, enjoy conversations or drinks or, you know, dinner with our friends and family? Um, you know, how do we, you know, enjoy, enjoy our girls trip, you know, without thinking about these experiences when they show up constantly. And so mindfulness is another great tool because it can help us change that shift in our, our, our shift, our thinking in our head. 
And so uh, mindfulness helps us focus on those present moments. Um, so we're not bothered by either the past experience as much or future worry about having another one of those experiences. So I think mindfulness can be a useful tool, but it has to be adapted. So sometimes it's even just the music we listen to. So if there's certain music that impacts us. So in group, we've played around with a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Folks bring in songs that really uh, kind of impact them, uh, uh, that they that helps them kind of shift their mind from one thing to another. Um, so those are some some of the other things. Then we bring in, you know, our, our sort of maybe uh, usual uh, tools of, you know, checking our thinking. Um, you know, what what are we thinking about? You know, how are we seeing things? Where is that coming from? How is it making us feel when we see things that way or we talk talk about or or, or, or see things that way? And then, um, you know, what do we do about it? So just understanding that process and the education around the impact of race-related stress, um, I think, is really important because know about it and you can do something about it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so getting folks kind of on the same page about like, hey, are you responding in this way because of racism or discrimination? How is that impacting the way that you see the world? Um, um, and, you know, are there places where it's getting in your, your way, right? Um, if you're isolating from your friends and family because of these experiences, um, that, that's going to be more harmful in the long term. So how, what can we do instead? What's another way we can help you deal with this? So I think those are a lot of the key sort of pieces without getting too deep into the sort of psychotherapy of it all. But um, hopefully that's helpful for folks. It's a good um, primer, though, because, again, people that are constantly hustling, like, how do you get them engaged? So you talked about mindfulness, and that could be its own whole show, right? And <laughs> just talking about mindfulness. Mm-hmm. But just talk about that a little bit, particularly for minority communities, because sometimes you get this message early on. you got to work harder than everybody, right? You have to work harder than your white counterparts. So this idea of slowing down and not necessarily being engaged all the time, cognitively, that's a big shift. That's difficult for a lot of people. So tell us about like how mindfulness helps to break that up a little bit. Yeah, I think about the sense of the the sort of the saying, right? Work um, smarter, not harder. So one of the things that we know about um, that kind of stress and the impact of, like I mentioned, you know, a little bit about problem solving well, we don't problem solve as well when we're under that amount of stress. So some decisions may be uh, making it more difficult um, for us, right? So we're jumping through more hoops. But if we were able to kind of take a step back, um, check in with ourselves, do some mindfulness practice, it actually can help us focus better. It helps with concentration. Uh, it helps us with decision making. Um, and it kind of also helps us to kind of like get out of that fight or flight mode constantly. So instead of... Um, just reacting in a lot of situations, right? That actually sometimes comes at a cost, right? Mm -hmm. We're now being very more thoughtful about how we want to handle that. Um, So it helps protect against those costs a bit more and maybe more strategically handling situations when we can. Um, So I think that's one example. So I think about this. So let's, uh, the case in point of, let's say that you hear, um, overhear um, a racially demeaning joke at work, right? that's a difficult situation to tackle that kind of thing, right? And for you, it might be really important to speak up, right? But oftentimes when that fight or flight system kicks online from the chronic stress, we might be ready to fight, right? So yeah. we might get, you know, we might, it might lead us to be, you know, yelling or, you know, even unfortunately maybe in a physical altercation 
And we know that in a workplace, that's that's not going to fly. Right. So so but us, you know, taking the other route and not saying anything and moving on may also cause us harm because it doesn't do with our value. So I think taking a deep breath, you know, using some of those mindfulness skills, it actually changes our brain a bit to be able to kind of regulate ourselves more. And then we can sort of say, okay, how am I going to handle this situation? Right. So instead you might choose to, you know, if you have a manager or you have uh, someone within the leadership where you work, who is going to address this and you feel confident in doing that, maybe also looking at other means for tackling this, right. Um, in other ways, you know, maybe outside of the workplace, you tackle it, you know, through uh, giving, gathering resources or legal means if necessary. Right. So it helps us to slow down enough to think about how we want to tackle the situation and in a way that fits with the way that we want to live our lives or how we see ourselves. And I think that's, that's one of the key pieces of what mindfulness can help us do um, on top of just kind of lessening that, that physical uh, reaction reactivity that harms our health. Excellent. <clears throat> Excellent example of the workplace. Cause I'm just thinking about the year, right? The last 15 months have been tough, right? Double pandemic racism, which has always been there. And then coronavirus, right? COVID-19. So you have this interaction effect there. So I love that you gave the work example. Like a lot of people have been hyper aroused at work because there's a lot of triggers, things that are coming on on the news, water cooler talk, things that are being said. So I love that you gave that example of like mindfulness. Sometimes you just need those few moments, right? to bring yourself down so that you yeah. can go to that adaptive type of coping versus like the maladaptive type of coping. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That you talk about this in depth um, and, and, you know, that affects folks, uh, black folks in particular in in multitude of ways. One is just like already having these issues with access to healthcare um, you know, getting, you know, a, a recognition of symptoms, you know, there's a story about Serena Williams and kind of like her telling doctors, you know, she knows her health better than anyone, right? Mm-hmm. Telling doctors what she needs and she's not being listened to, right? She's Serena Williams, right? Um, and those types of things we call like systemic or, or structural racism, you know, those types of factors, right, that, that are part of that syndemic of racism. But there's the individual part that we oftentimes are more dealing with, which is the individual interpersonal, you know, between people interactions. And what we not what we know is that that affects our immune system, right? So if if, if you're trying to battle off something like COVID-19, um, you know, your system may be less able to do so because of those uh, additional environmental stressors or racism and discrimination that you're that, that people are experiencing. So that's why we oftentimes see that higher hospitalization rates, for example, for Black and Latino mm-hmm. Americans. Um, mm-hmm. um, we saw that, unfortunately, here where I live in Chicago, that that was, a you know, they were a really hard hit. I think it was like, 33% of hospitalizations were for Black Americans and they're yeah. only like 13% of the population. So, so those, those drastic differences, um, you know, racism plays a role both in the, you know, getting to the doctor, seeing the doctor, being hurt at the doctor, but then also um, experiencing them ourselves and our body's ability to cope because we're already burned out some of those resources dealing with the racism and not trying to deal with a very severe illness. So as you said, those structural systemic type of variables, you know, tied into that disproportion. So you talked a little bit about your 
uh, protocol, the Race-Based Stress and Trauma Empowerment Protocol. You also have a recent publication that's tied into that. Could you give us the title of the publication and a little bit of a synopsis before we run out of time? We've got a few minutes left. Yeah, so it's a, you know, it, so it's an intervention um, for race-based um, stress uh, in, in a veteran population. So it's actually detailing um, kind of some of the things that we dealt with the treatment, some of the barriers and challenges that we went up, we ran into and in, in trying to do that intervention. Um, it has a great synopsis, I think, of what is race-based stress or race-based traumatic stress um, and why it's important to tackle it. So, and it has some kind of um, mention of like ways to move forward. Um, and so that's kind of a very, very short, <laughs> I think, synopsis of the article. But, you know, it talks about some of the challenges, right? Like, I, I think it's important to think about, you know, identity and race-based stress will look different depending on how you identify. So in veterans, it's going to look different. For women, it's going to look different because now you may also be adding some components related to uh, gender. Now we talk about men versus women. Um, if you um, identify with the LGBTQ plus community, you know, there's additional stressors related to that, right? So how those stressors impact us start to vary based upon the different identities that we, that we hold and engage with. And so um, I think it starts to kind of expand a little bit of the complexities of those issues. You just tapped into a little bit there of intersectionality, another whole show, right? But just talking about those inter <laughs> yeah. intersecting identities, right? And then when we think about the minority stress model, so if you are in any marginalized community already, and then you're adding that you have other identities that are also marginalized, you're at a greater level of, of stress. So it's very important to recognize how that's manifested and what it looks like. And, and everything you said today, Dr. Ensley has been, you know, so eye-opening and hopefully the listeners taking away from this, recognizing that racism isn't only something you experience and it may be stressful and it's it's short-lived, but meaning that there's chronic impact of that. There's sometimes post-traumatic stress type of responses to that. And that there is good literature in terms of like the physical impact of racism or racial trauma on the physical and, and, and yeah. mental health. So I think got... there's one piece that I, that I do want to add. Oh, mm -hmm. sorry. No, go for it. Oh, I said there's one piece I do want to focus on is that resilience piece. Like we do have a lot of ways we deal with that. So I feel like I would be remiss to kind of uh, talk about this. Like this is only a problem and, and we have to deal with this and, and, and you know, um, but I think we, all, we, we can adapt and overcome. We do it on a daily basis. So tapping into those resources, the ways in which we are resilient um, is important in this too. So I want to make sure that, that we also talked a little bit, at least somewhat about that. Because I, I don't want to, to sort of portray it as, 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 you know, this is something we can't deal with, um, um, but we can. And I think it's important to know when to ask for help, when to, because mm -hmm. on a daily basis, many of us may tackle it individually just fine. Um, but eventually, for many of us, it starts to overwhelm that ability to do that. And that's you know, important to ask for help. It's important to just talk sometimes. Um, and sometimes, like you said, we may not recognize it. We've been using those resilience sources to help us kind of push through and and keep going and do our day-to-day -day lives. Um, but I think sometimes it's important to just talk um, and open the conversation, um, either with yourself or with, with you know those close to you or a professional um, that can help. 
Excellent. I think, no, that's an excellent note. We will definitely have to have you back because there's never enough time, right, for particularly a topic like this that is so important. So bringing up the resilience is a great way and a note for us to end on in recognizing that, yes, there's stress. Yes, there's a problem, but there are also solutions. And what are some of the things that, that we can do? So we've had a remarkably powerful dialogue today with Dr. Ensley Jr. And we certainly thank you for joining us on New Horizon Mind and Body Connection. If people want to reach out, how can they contact you? Yeah, you can reach me at uh, uh, Dr. Maurice Ensley at gmail.com. That's D-R-M-A-U-R-I-C-E-E-N-D-S-L-E-Y at gmail.com. Um, that's that's one way to reach me. Another way to reach me, I, I you'll be proud of me. I have a Twitter now. Um, it's yeah. doc doc underscore uh, m o e n d s doc uh, underscore mo ends. Um, so um, it's a new profile, but um, you know you can reach me there um, um, if you have any questions or just you know want to talk more about what is race based traumatic stress or you know how do we deal with it. Wonderful. Once again, thank you to Dr. Maurice Ensley Jr. for appearing on New Horizon Mind and Body Connection on Intentional Talk Radio. Join us on second and fourth Sundays at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Our next show will be July 11th. Thank you to our listeners across the globe and for your friends and family who cannot listen live today. This podcast will be available on the itrnradio.com next week. Remember, a healthy mind and healthy body is key to longevity. Thank you, everyone. And if anyone needs to seek help at this time, Psychology Today is one of the places you can reach out, as well as uh, blacktherapist.org, as well as InnoPsych, I-N-N-O-P-S-Y-C-H.com, where you can find uh, therapists specifically matched by race and ethnicity. Thank you again, Dr. Ensley, and thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you.